if our city wasn't terrible enough as, as it already is, we got protests going on uptown, which is like six minutes away from my house. Yeah. And uh, lots of talk of things getting destroyed possibly later on today. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, by the next episode, we'll be like, hey, live from the, uh, I don't even know where I would stay if my house burned down. But <laughs> I was saying, though, half of our shitty city is already boarded up. Yeah. Because they, so bo- they, they were boarding things up because, you know, they're prepared for people breaking windows and shit. But it's like, how could you tell what yeah. was out of business and what is a business? Because it's like the whole town is all shitty and boarded up anyway. It would be funny if like somebody who still had a business and boarded it up and never like like on Monday or whatever when they come back to like take it down. They'd be like, wait, wait, and they get confused like, wait, which which, which building is mine? Yeah, which which building is mine? I don't. <laughs> what if they like went to take down the boards, but when they got there, some, like, the protesters actually took down the boards, and it just made it look nicer just because <laughs> the shitty was so... Like, that's what the protesters did. Like, well, we can't really destroy the city, so let's make it look nicer. Nice. And they just started painting over, like, the dilapidated buildings and uh, fixing some of the roads and doing the Lord's work. That'd be nice. Yeah. I mean, a big part of me kind of wants to just protest the conditions of the road, too. Like, <laughs> like, like, I get, like, obviously it's a big deal, but... These roads are really fucking up my vehicle. Yeah. I mean, we can see the bricks from the 1700s in a lot of places now. Maybe we could kind of protest that on the side or pick another day. Because we got to do something about that. Our tax money, which is very, very high right now, is not going to fixing anything. Also, they're talking about, like, destroying Jefferson Avenue. And again, I don't know if you'd really notice, but yeah. I'm like... Maybe they'd finally fix it. <laughs> if, they br- like, if they went and burned everything down, maybe we could make it kind of nice. Yeah. And like there's only like there's only like five things to destroy or worth destroying. I mean, outside of the countless beer distributors <laughs> and there's like a subway. Um, what is there really? To, yeah, what's there? To, there's a barber shop that I think's kind of nice right yeah. there. <laughs> Everything else sucks. Uh, they were talking about uh, up at the Tanger Outlets, which is like 15 minutes away from here. They're uh, boarding up. Like, the stores and stuff. It's, like, nothing around here is, re- like, that would be, like, Walmart and Target. There's yeah. walking distance. Yeah. Like, you can't walk because it's all, like, almost highway roads. So, I don't know how people would get there. They'd have to drive. Yeah, it's not like in Pittsburgh when we literally saw, like, McDonald's on the side in the corner and it's, like, a weird building that, yeah. you wouldn't, that doesn't look like a McDonald's, you know? This isn't, like, the kind of city where you can really just tear shit up that's important because everything's far away. Mm. Like any like like I said, even the Walmart, you can't just walk to Walmart safely. It's very dangerous from any direction. Because just leaving, Also it takes forever. It takes forever. I don't see a whole group of protesters doing that. I mean they're the main thing they were talking about was like what happened in a lot of cities is you get like white supremacist assholes who pretend they're Antifa come in from out of town to destroy shit. Yeah, like uh Somebody at work said that they heard that somebody, I don't know who, but somebody was supposed to, like, uh, bust in, like, KKK members. Yeah. It's like the the person I was working with, her, her response was, but, like, there's plenty enough of them here already. Yeah, we already have enough of those fucking assholes here. And also, I kind of want you to do that if you're a KKK member. Yeah, like, come on. Go to the protest and get the shit beat out yeah. of you. Like, you kind of deserve it. And uh, But, you know, they, they wouldn't wear the hoods and shit. They'd probably dress... Uh, like fucking like rioters or something. 
That's what they were doing in other places, did, and then pretending they were like Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Did you see those cops? And this isn't the first time that I've seen something about it, but like a lot of these cops now during the riots, they're wearing like Punisher skulls. Yeah, I did. I was actually going to bring that up to you. What the fuck kind of message are you getting across? You think you're the like that's the mindset of our yeah. police in this country? That you're the fucking Punisher? Yeah. It's like, oh my god, yeah. That's that's like my uh, like what's setting me into a rage is I keep seeing. These protests against police brutality, and what do the police do to counter these protests? Proceed to do the thing that they're being protested for doing. Shoot, you're, you're shooting, shooting, people. Oh, shooting old people in the face with like. Do you see how big those rubber bullets are? They're the size of your fucking palm. Oh. I saw a picture of a lady with one stuck in her head, and I was like, Is she in her head? And she looked like she was dead. Apparently, I think she lived, but she like lost her eye. But she was like fucked up. So what are you doing? I've seen multiple videos of them just attacking old people. Yeah. So like pushing them down or one guy he got fucking like punched out. Uh, like I'm talking like 70 plus. Uh, there's that picture or video, I forget what it was, of a homeless guy in a wheelchair. Yeah, I see And what they do? Oh, this guy's trouble. Shot him in the face with a fucking rubber bullet. Like what is happening? Um, but then the places that you don't see the, like the violence and shit getting burned down tend to be places like New Jersey of all places where the cops are like, Hey, you guys are right. We're going to be with you and protest with you. Oh, now also we don't have violence. But then you got DC where they hired actual mercenaries to guard like the link. You see that? No. Like those black water guys. No, I did not. I saw that they put up a fence around the white house. Yeah. But like at the Lincoln Memorial, there was a whole bunch of, uh, it looks like military guys holding machine guns. But if you look at their boots and stuff, that's not military issue. They're like the mercenaries that they were hiring to like when go to Iraq and shit yeah. when they were doing the cleanup efforts, quotations. They're like those Blackwater guys, like those fucking mercenaries. That's who they were hiring that's to handle a lot of this. crazy. Because they don't – because if we have like what Trump wanted to do, like the National Guard and the Army and stuff, fucking handle the protesters and shoot them and stuff, like that looks very bad. You can't have well, your government attacking well, like, your citizens, but you got mercenaries do it apparently. Well, like I showed you that video uh, last week of like those people like on their porch. Yeah, on their just, house. They shot like paintballs or fucking uh, tear gas or something in their house while they're on their porch. Like, what the fuck? And I don't know about you, but if there's a tank rolling down my street, I'm going to get on my porch and take a look and what the fuck's going on? Yeah, that's not normal. I don't understand why... Like, anybody would think that's acceptable, but, like, you have a lot of these fucking super right-wing assholes, like, oh, yeah, just do what you're told and listen. Okay, so when you're on your porch and a fucking tank rolls down the street and then they just line up, get off your porch, go in your house and start shooting at you while you're on your own fucking property. Yeah, I don't don't think there's really any defending that. And, like, you, like, these, like, those kind of cops, you never see any cops, like, struggling with the decision um like yeah should i shoot this person in the face with with rubber bullet i think i'm like, gonna shoot know, him first and then i'll think about but it no, after. But, but they're all like bam 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 like <laughs> well they're in full right here yep guy hey motherfuckers yeah because like actual military people they're the last thing they're supposed to do is shoot they're trained not to shoot yeah police officers also, I think police officers, I think their first thing, or their, shoot. La- their last thing, uh, but I mean, I think it's supposed to be, yeah. the last thing's supposed to be shooting. It's supposed to be, but that's not what they go to, they seem to be first they thing They skip shoot. a couple of steps. Yeah. How come they can't just use the rubber bullets when they're like pulling somebody over or something and they decide to shoot them in the face for no reason? Why don't they have rubber bullets before actual bullets? Right. Like, why isn't that an option? Because clearly that's effective. Yeah. It's putting a lot of people down, so why couldn't they just do that? 
You have tasers, mace, rubber bullets. You have a lot of things that go before gun, but they seem to just jump to gun. Isn't it also weird? And like, you know, I'm sure you've seen these on online stuff. But the, you know, I never really thought about. But with like the tear gas, like it's it, they don't do that in war, but yeah. yet in their own in our own cities, they just tear gas the fuck out of you. No hesitation. I like how the Hong Kong protesters are handling that. They got leaf blowers. You know what? I, what I never thought of. Some, somebody at work was telling me about this. Like, like oh, I'd want to go, but like if I'd go, I couldn't wear my contacts. So I'd have to wear my glasses. Yeah, because of all the, like that stuff would just get stuck. Probably melt the contacts yeah. to your eyeballs or some shit. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's crazy. It's fucking dangerous out there. Anybody uh, going to these protests? Be safe. Yeah, I'm not. From what I'm seeing, it's not looking good. And I'm not watching the shit on the news. I'm watching like actual footage people were taking. Yeah, and it just it looks bad. Yeah, be careful. Yeah. don't do anything to give them a reason. Mm-hmm. Because assuming shit doesn't pop off too crazy in our area, this episode will be up in a week or so. <laughs> but if not, I guess we're just talking into the void. Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Drunk Open Radio Podcast. <laughs> what was that? I just wanted to extend it. It kind of felt sexual, had, actually. I thought you had, like, a seizure or something. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, like that, you just had uh, your, your autoerotic asphyxiation uh, moment there. Like, <laughs> I'll just do that for a fucking 10 minutes straight. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> creepy. I am your host, Caleb James, with me today. What is your name? I didn't think of one. Spencer the Boulder Buggy Bandit Church. <laughs> Buggy Basher was seen Buggy. a little harsh because I know you love, which I guess it doesn't even really matter because the people listening to this, unless you're from Pennsylvania, you think a buggy is like a horse and buggy. Yeah. That's what we call shopping carts around here for some reason. That's not universal as far as I understand. Which it makes sense. Like, why the fuck would a shopping cart be called a buggy? Yeah, that makes that does not make sense. No. Then again, where does the term buggy come from? We're not getting into that today. Yeah, that's a whole other episode <laughs> today. I don't know how well this episode will turn out, but we are talking about the daily routines of twelve famous writers, as made by JamesClear.com. So James Clear did all the work. I assume he's a writer fellow. I don't know the age of this article either. But we're going to jump into it, and this is not not list form, not numbered, so should we just quit? Want to just quit? Yeah. You want to just yeah. bandit DVW, sign off for good, come back, true crime podcast. <laughs> we're talking off air, oh, the true crime podcast, get all the downloads, they get all the sweet ad revenue. What do we get? You find listeners, that's what yeah. we get. That's enough for us. The joy of the smiles on your faces that we get to bring. Or there have you guys done those. Presumably. Yeah. <laughs> well, these all start off with a quote. So, I'm going to read those. This is E.B. White. A writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper. That is true. Yep. I find most of the times that I'm like, I'm going to wait for inspiration. And I won't write for a month. So, don't do that. Yeah. Don't wait for the inspiration. Don't wait for the motivation. That, Just sit your bitch ass down and write. That or don't even do that because this is my thing. Like, I get done with work. I get done eating. And I'm just like 4.45. And it's like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take 15 minutes 
at five o'clock I'm gonna yeah. start writing, and then it's six six thirty, and I wake up and I'm like, what ha- what happened? What is going on? See, I always just keep pushing the deadline. Oh, four fifteen, all right. You know, at four thirty is a nice even number. Yeah. I'll do that. You know what? I might as well just eat dinner now. Yeah, five get, o'clock. Get out of the way. You know what? I I, I didn't I didn't like my shower. I'm gonna take a second shower. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just uh, you sit down here. You finally sit down. You crack up on the laptop. You hit two or then the keyboard. Like ah, right, now I gotta take a shit. I gotta take a shit now, and that's forty five minutes. Yeah, just literally down the drain. Forty five minutes. Jeez. Take the laptop in with you, into the forty-five minute poop. That's the pro hack right there. That's a pro tip. Take your laptop into the bathroom as you're pooping. Maybe buy like a little Chromebook for that purpose. Yeah. Hey, Caleb, what's with that little brown Chromebook? That's my pooping Chromebook. <laughs> That's what I get it's most- only used for the bathroom. That's why I get most of my writing done. Probably would get a lot of writing if you did write in the bathroom. Of course, you probably get nerve damage too. Yeah. In an interview with the Paris Review, E.B. White, the famous author of Charlotte's Web, talked about his daily writing routine. This is E.B. White, sirs. Ladies. Madams. What do we call people these days? Humans? You can't say human. You can't even say sir or miss anymore. People? I mean, that do you, I don't well, know. If you don't ad- identify as a person, I don't know. I don't want to offend people. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> I don't... Yeah. Uh, what if you don't have a body? What if you're just an <laughs> ethereal spirit? Fuck, I don't want to get ghost mad at me. And then I'll get haunted. Man, I seem like we always fall into this trap every once in a while. And then we just get sucked down like a fucking bottom of a whirlpool. Just... <laughs> uh... um, anyway. <laughs> I like to think they endure the ride. They like to see us squander and just like, what are these guys talking about? These guys are just doing lots of squirming on air. To anybody who's wondering. Over here at DPW. We don't care what you identify as. No. Oh, no. It really doesn't matter. I just don't know what to call you. Yeah, I just don't want to upset you. But I do have a limit, Spencer. You know what that limit is? What? Scott Bayo. Oh, yeah. You want to be in it? <laughs> if you want to be identified as Scott Bayo, you can go fuck yourself, Chachi. I'm not calling you Scott Bayo. What if it's actually Scott Bayo? No. Oh, wow. No, so Scott can't... Bayo can get fucked. <laughs> he can fuck himself hard. Don't let me know well, Scott Bayo. The way that situation worked, you could, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking Scott Bayo. Now, if you're Bob Faggerback, <laughs> Bill Faggerback. Is his name Bob or Bill? Does it matter? It's the last it's name. It's been so long since it's, I brought up Bill Faggerback. It's uh, Bill Faggerback. It's the last name. Patrick Starr. <laughs> Guy from Coach with the weird hair. Damn it. Yeah, I just got Bill Faggerback listening to this podcast again, too. Took a lot of emails, <laughs> and now he's just going to be like, fuck you guys. You know what? I'm done. I'm done. Is this kind of almost like the uh, Daniel Tars and um, uh, Art Anderson kind of like? Yeah, but Art Anderson, I can understand, because he's a, he was a violent man at one point. He beat people up for a living. Fake beat him up. No, but I mean like how he always like called yeah. out. Like, Calling out Art Anderson. Anderson. That's because he Tosh is a wrestling heel, though. <laughs> anyway, back with the Paris Review interview with E.B. White. <laughs> it's going to be a long episode. I never listen to music when I'm working. I haven't that kind of attentiveness, and I wouldn't take it at all. On the other hand, I'm able to work fairly well among ordinary distractions. My house was a living room that is at the core of everything that goes on. It is a passageway to the cellar, to the kitchen, to the closet where the phone lives. There's a lot of traffic, but it's a bright, cheerful room, and I often use it as a room to write in, despite the carnival that is going on all around me. 
In consequence, the members of my household never pay the slightest attention to my being a writing man. They make all the noise and fuss they want to. I can feel you on that one, mister. <laughs> if I get sick of it, I have places I can go. A writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper. Now, you are that kind of writer, sir, right? Yeah, kind of, I mean, yeah. you kind of need a little random background noise and chaos. You like yeah. to have TV on or... Uh, you seem like the kind of guy that could probably write well in a cafe or something, like maybe. With the hustle and bustle yeah. going on. Yeah, maybe. Me, I get distracted easily. See, it, it depends. If I'm in the writing zone, once soon as I get in that zone, I can block everything yeah. out. But until I get in that, I, I will keep, like, distracting myself. Where I think that's where, like, my, like, my ADD kind of comes into effect. Like, because if it's just quiet, after a while, I'm like... You start thinking random shit. Or and... just, I'll just, like, stop and kind of just stare off. Like, I need the things to not pay attention. Like, I, yeah. it's, a, it's like a weird reverse focus. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if there's stuff going on, I can block that out, which will make me focus on yeah. what's in front of me. Either if I don't have anything to block out, you I'm need, kinda... You need overstimulation. Like, if there's a lot going on, then you just be like, that's too much, I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. But if there's nothing going on, then your mind just wanders too yeah. much. Um, I can see how that could It be. gives me time to think, and that's never good. Yeah. I'm not a thinking Well, man. you know what? I can write if there's, like, a lot of noise going on in certain areas. Like, I can write in cafes and stuff, because I think, again, that's too much noise going on. But when it's just, like, in my house Random and noise. just one TV or one person talking or, you know, the dog barking or, like, one thing. I'm like, huh? huh? What? What was that? What's yeah. going on? Somebody need me? Need me? I'll come in. I'll help you real quick. Yeah, I, I'm not doing nothing. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be writing. What do you need? Ooh. Also, music. I find, I, as long as yeah. it doesn't have words, I though. I it, don't really, yeah, I don't really mess with music. I used to not be able to listen to anything now, but now I can listen to music that is, like, at- atmospheric. Yeah. Like, uh, like when I'm doing, like, a noir story or something, I can listen to some kind of, like, jazz club ambience or something. Like, you know, not, but not with words. Yeah, it, it's Once the words weird. come into play, I'm not paying attention. Next up is one of my favorites, Mr. Haruki Mirakami. I don't know why I added those R's. That's not a Japanese thing. That would be Spanish. Um, Haruki Mirakami says, The repetition itself becomes the important thing. In a 2004 interview, Mirakami discussed his physical and mental habits. He's a very interesting guy, and he does lots of running, Spencer. Oh, yeah? He's old, but he does lots of running. So I'd imagine that's where his writing ideas come from. When I'm in writing mode for a novel, I get up at 4 a.m. Well, I'm already fucking toast. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not doing that. I, we've actually listened to uh, quite a few authors who get up at like 4 a.m. They like to get up before any anything's going on in the world. That or like wait <clears throat> and stay like real late at like at midnight. Yeah. Like, you know, and we're from like midnight to four or something like I think that. His name's like Stephen Kotler. He's on the Rogan podcast. He's like the flow state guy. Talked all about like flow state and getting into flow states for creativity. And he says he likes to wake up like three, four in the morning before anybody's up. And he goes right into writing before he really is awake. That yeah. way he's like in this weird, slight dreamlike state, which. I thought about trying that, but I I can't function like that. No. When I'm in writing mode for a novel, I get up at 4 a.m. and work for five to six hours in the afternoon. uh, In the afternoon, I run for 10 kilometers or swim for 1,500 meters or do both. Then I read a bit and listen to some music. I go to bed at 9 p.m. Those are the kind of things you could do, folks, when you are only a writer. (laughs) Like when you don't have another job. I keep to this routine every day without variation. The repetition itself becomes the important thing. It's a form of mes- mesmerism. I mesmerize myself to reach a 
deeper state of mind. But to hold to such repetition for long, six months to a year, requires a good amount of mental and physical strength. In that sense, writing a long novel is like survival training. Physical strength is as necessary as artistic sensitivity. To write a novel, you have to really stick to like a routine, I would think. Yeah. And it would get easier over time, but at first, that would be hard. Next up, Ernesto Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway. Uh. This one's simple. I write every morning. It's easy to write every morning, folks, when one, you're rich, and yeah. two, you just fucking write quick little short sentences because you're Ernest Hemingway and you don't have to use crazy metaphors and fancy language because everybody likes you because you have a mustache. And See, I, thought you, I thought you liked Hemingway. I think he's an interesting author. There's not too much of his work I care you, about. You, you don't like his, his work, but you like him? Like his personality? I don't think like, I would actually like him as a person because he was kind of a macho douchebag, but I would like he lived led a very interesting life like, and he had very good advice on writing. Like not to hang out with but like say like if he was now where there was a like back then you didn't have a way to like to kind of live and see the authors that yeah. did their work, you know, that did that work. Like if they were now, you know, you could follow them on Instagram yeah. or whatever. Like you know what I mean? See, like all the fucking weird. Yeah, he would have been a. He'd he's be an adventurer, Rogan. so he would have been he'd, a cool. He would have been on the Rogan podcast. Oh yeah, he would have been a cool guy, probably. Again, though, I mean, you can't judge somebody that was fucking living in the twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties. Like they yeah. obviously had different views than what we have now. But anyway, he writes every morning. In an interview with George Plimpton. Hemingway revealed his daily routine. When I am working on a book or a story, I write every morning as soon after first light as possible. There is no one to disturb you and it is cool or cold and you come to your work and warm as you write. He literally speaks just like he wrote. (laughs) It's like just very, very direct. Anyway, you read what you have written and as you always stop when you know what is going to happen next, you go on from there. You write until you come to a place where you still have your juice and know what will happen next and you stop and try to live through until the next day when you hit it again. You have started at 6 in the morning, say, and may go on until noon or be through before that. When you stop, you are as empty and as at the same time never empty but filling, as when you have made love to someone you love. Nothing can hurt you, nothing can happen, nothing means anything until the next day when you do it again. It is the wait until the next day that is hard to get through. It's kind of hard to read. It was. <laughs> it's, like, it's very weird how he stated everything. Um, essentially what Hemingway liked to do, he would work for whatever hours he worked a day, and then he would literally just stop like mid-sentence. And then the next day when he would go back to writing, he would reread like, Three paragraphs to a page or whatever, like, you know, just depending, I guess, on what his mood was. But, like, say three paragraphs, he would read to get back into the story. And then when you come to that sentence, he knew where he was already going, so he would continue that. I I don't know if I could trust myself. I do that, but I don't end it mid-sentence. Yeah. I meant it, like, maybe like, mid-paragraph or just at the end of a paragraph. paragraph. Yeah, yeah, but I do like to, I don't generally which actually probably be better for me if i just finished a whole chapter or something before yeah i gonna say the 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 best the ideal situation is to at least to finish, se- finish a scene yeah like a chapter or a scene or a plot point or whatever it is but i mean it just depends how quickly i mean obviously that worked for him like be able to get back into the story quickly is very important i find sometimes i have tr- uh trouble getting back to the story but what i usually do is i go back and reread like either a page or, like, four or five paragraphs to get back into the story. Yeah. 
for those people that could just like go right into it without doing any of that, that's kind of good for you. Yeah, you magic man. Good for you. Next up, we have Henry Miller, who hopefully has a easier to read interview. Mm-hmm. When you can't create, you can work. In 1932, the famous writer and painter Henry Miller created a work schedule that listed his commandments for him to follow as part of his daily routine. This list was published in the book Henry Miller on Writing. You can get that on Kindle, too. I'll put this uh, article in the description, folks, and you can find the links to the, any books that are mentioned in here on that. Number one, work on one thing at a time until finished. I need to do that because I find myself often working multiple stories at once, and it takes me forever to finish any of them. Yeah. I do that because I get bored with the story sometimes, or I just get a little frustrated, and then I just kind of want to work on something completely. Usually, That's one thing I'll say. I do something completely different. I'm not writing in the same genre or like you know, I've been working on that noir story and a fantasy story. Well, I'll I like switch back and forth because yeah. they're not anything like the other. So there's no chance of one bleeding into the other, or even the writing style being similar. Number two, start no more new books. Add no more new material to Black Spring. I don't know what that means. Is that reading or writing? I don't know. Number three, don't don't be nervous. Work calmly, joyously, recklessly on whatever it is at hand. Four, work according to program and not according to mood. Stop at the appointed time. So is that like working a nine to five? I, yeah, I think that's like that. the idea of giving yourself like a... I find some of the most productive people in uh, art and entertainment, that's how they go about it. Like Eminem, for example, his, like when he like makes an album or something, his style is he literally make, treats like a nine to five job. So at five o'clock or whenever his end time is, even if he's not done with the song or something, he's like clocking out for the day. Okay, I'm yeah. done. I'll be here tomorrow. It's very interesting because I think that would keep you more productive and maybe keep you from getting burnt out as much. That's what like I hear like a lot of um, you know, because like all the comic artists and writers like mm-hmm. that's what they. That's how I always hear them describe it as trying to, and maybe not like a full nine to five, but like a, you know, a good like four or five hour yeah. chunk, you know, take breaks in between, grab something to eat, but you know, like have like a, a set upon time yeah. to, uh, to do it in. And then, you know, if afterwards you're still feeling good or whatever, the rest is just like extra, or, yeah. you know. The problem for most of us aspiring writers is that we have day jobs. You don't, yeah, you don't have that time. Fucking, oh, if I could just write. Eight hours a day. I mean, technically, you, I you, can, but as it do you do you think you could write for that long? That would be tough to get into that because I think right now my normal like high end level of writing would be maybe three or four hours. Yeah, like that's like on a weekend or something. That's usually the most I write before. And honestly, it's actually just because I'm the kind of writer too. I don't really get up. Like you're supposed to every like 20 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Get away from the computer. Just walk around for a minute. Stretch out. I'll just like sit there like a gamer. Yeah. Just glued to the fucking thing. And then all of a sudden four hours like, oh, my legs. Yeah. Like, And then I don't want to get back to it. But if I worked eight hours, yeah, I would probably uh, – I think I could work my way up to that. I think it would be very productive. Um, That's definitely not a starting point. It would be – Like do you just – like say <clears throat> something happened and you could – just straight out, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would be hard to just immediately go into eight hours. Yeah, you'd have to do some warming up, and it just depends how much you do it, too. But I think we would both benefit from being able to, like, test oh. our, well, just test our length of writing. Like, see if we'd be like, hey, today, you know, I'm off today. 
I'm gonna sit down and write for three hours solid. Yeah. Even if it's dog shit, even if I just stare at the page the whole time, like just force myself. And if you keep doing that, eventually I think it would uh, help you out. Because my problem is the first twenty minutes. Mm. If I just like I can write for twenty minutes and just be like, uh, just shitty writing, dog shit, dog shit, cat shit, bird shit, <laughs> horse shit, moose shit, toad shit, all you know, the shit, lemur shit. Sorry, I just like naming animals. Um, platypus shit. <laughs> but then. If I can get past that 20 minutes, then I get more into the zone, and then it's fine, and I can go on. But if I just, like, crap out before that 20 minutes is up, I just kind of, okay, I'm done writing for the day. Yeah. And I just, it fucking sucks. I hate when I do that. And then you you feel really bad. Yeah, you feel you like feel a like, loser. You feel like an ass. You feel like a quitter. You feel like, why did I even fucking sit down and do this at all? Yeah, like, why did I even bother opening up the laptop if I was just going to close it in 20 minutes? Yeah. Uh, number five, when you can't create, you can work. Um, I take that as you come up with notes, ideas, like when your mind's not in that creative frame, like we were just talking about with the 20 minutes thing. Well, maybe sometimes you just can't get into it. You're just, you're not in the right mind space to write, but it doesn't mean you can't come up with ideas, even names or just character descriptions. Or like, or like plotting yeah. or, you know. Cause to be honest, like if I'm writing, a, if I was writing a novel or something, even when I'm not in that creative mind space to do any kind of writing, I could always come up with like, you know character designs like what they look yeah. like i could come up with uh fucking just random plot points like that stuff is almost endless like i feel real writer's block would be when you can't even do that yeah like when you can't or you don't you can't muster the enthusiasm to even come up with names for like people in your story like then you might have a problem uh number six cement a little every day rather than add new fertilizers why you gotta be so metaphorical fuck um <laughs> Cement a little every day rather than add new fertilizers. So I guess that just kind of means like every day you'd want like more permanent parts to your work. Like you want to create some permanent, but rather than just constantly adding new stuff to your work, you might mm-hmm. want to go back and kind of establish some things in the story that are going to stick. That's how I take that. Number seven, keep human. See people, go places. Drink if you feel like it. That's important. As writers, we do tend to be either introverted or just kind of ignore humanity for a while. Um, it's harder, obviously, during a pandemic when you're on lockdown and shit. But if you can go out and uh, just live a little is very important. That's one thing we always uh, suggest to people is go out and live. That way you also get more ideas for stories. Number eight, don't be a draught horse. Work with pleasure only. I'm not sure what that means. Number nine, discard the program when you feel like it, but go back to it next day. Concentrate, narrow down, exclude. That's essentially staying. Take a break sometimes. You don't have to write every day. You, It's fine to not do work one day. Everybody needs a day off. Number 10, forget the books you want to write. Think only of the book you are writing. That's yeah, a tough one. That's a biggie. For me, like stories, I'm always thinking of story ideas, and like I feel like I'm wasting my potential if I don't like attack them when i get the idea because if i don't attack them when i get the idea then i just kind of forget about them or just don't have interest in them anymore but then you will never finish what you're working on so you do that the story you're working on is the most important story you know who you are you're a story horror you just you just go to any story and just suck off any story you know Mm, left left right and center yeah yeah, I want that story. I want all the stories. Every story that can come off the fucking boat at the dock. I want the whole fleet. The football team of stories. No, you should... Uh, 
Always focus on the story you're writing. Again, that's the most important story you can ever work on is the one you're working on now. Even if it sucks, finish it. Number 11, write first and always. Painting, music, friends, cinema, all these come afterwards. That's another tough one is making, again, this just goes with the transition from amateur writer to professional or having a career as a writer, is making writing the number one thing. Yeah. Again, making it like your job. Because when it's like, hey, I want to do some writing tonight, but then the missus is like, I want to go to the movies. Okay, let's go to the movies. Yeah. If you really are taking it seriously, you can be like, the movies have to wait. Yeah, well, you go to the movies, I'll, yeah. I'll write. I mean, that's an episode for another day, but having a supportive spouse or somebody yeah. that can uh, understand that writing comes first and writing is important, that's tough because a lot of people, I'm fortunate I don't have to deal with that, but a lot of people have the problem where, uh, you know, their spouse doesn't like when the writing comes first. Yeah. Like, it's almost like they're jealous of it. It's like, well, you don't want to spend time with me. Well, I'm writing, baby. Like, that could be an issue. Uh, next up is the great Kurt Vonnegut. I do push-ups and sit-ups all the time. Really, Kurt? Because you didn't look like it. <laughs> Maybe when he was younger. In 1965, Vonnegut wrote a letter to his wife, Jane, about his daily writing habits, which was published in the book. Wouldn't you feel weird? Oh, it was published in the book, Kurt Vonnegut Letters, by the way. But wouldn't you feel weird just writing a letter to somebody, and then it gets printed in, like, a book or something oh, later yeah. on. I mean, unless he actually wanted that in there, but, like, what if it was just, like, after you die, like, the James Joyce fart fiction, or, you know, his yeah. fart letters. Like, that would suck. I, I mean, like, why would you publish somebody's personal letters, no matter what the, how famous they were? Like, that doesn't make sense. It seems like fucking an evasion of privacy. Can you invade the privacy of somebody that's dead? They still have family members living, probably. That but I'm would... sure that they're the ones who sign off on it. Maybe. I guess. Like, I assume that his wife that he wrote this letter to, I assume that she's already live. Like, live past what he is. Yeah, but, like, and... what would you do if you found, like, in the attic, like, letters from your dad to your mother, and it was all about, like, her farting in his mouth and stuff. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, oh, God. Or, like, your grandma. Like, oh, granny. What the hell? Into German Scheiser porn or something. Like, oh, that'd be terrible. Anyway, Kurt Vonnegut. I awake at 5.30, work until 8, eat breakfast at home, work until 10, walk a few blocks into town, do errands, go to the nearby municipal swimming pool, which I have all to myself, and swim for half an hour, return home at 11.45, read the mail, eat lunch at noon, and then in the afternoon I do schoolwork, either teach or prepare. When I get home from school at about 5.30, I numb my twangling intellect with several belts of scotch and water. $5 fifth at the state liquor store, the only liquor store in town. There are loads of bars, though. Okay. Uh, I cook supper, read and listen to jazz. Lots of good music on the radio here. Slip off to sleep at 10. I do push-ups and sit-ups all the time and feel as though I am getting lean and sinewy, but maybe not. I would say not. I think that uh, he was just living in a better time period, maybe. Seemed like it was... I mean, I guess we can all maybe do something like that. He, and he had an actual job. He was a teacher there. So he wrote before he worked. Now I just feel like a piece of shit. Like, he wrote before his job, and then after his job he did stuff. Well, his job was to probably pertain to writing. I'm Most sure likely, he was yeah. like a writing teacher probably. Most likely. What if he was a gym teacher? That'd be interesting. Well, he was in advertising for a while. Maybe he taught advertising. I don't know. Also, though, there were a lot less distractions back then in the oh, fucking yeah. 60s. Like, compared to now... Now, you like, streaming services, I think, have really fucked up people's creativity. Like, you want to be, like, a writer or an artist, 
There's so many shows and movies and TV shows and even books and stuff. It's like, ah, I, just, I want to be entertained all the time. And it's hard to be the entertainer. Uh, you kind of have to pick one or the other. Either be the entertainer or do the entertain. you know, get entertained. Either you dance on the stage, you dance on the stage or you clap in the crowd. Yeah. Next up, Jody Picoult. You can't edit a blank page. The last seven books Jody Picoult has written have all hit number one on the New York Times bestseller list. In an interview with Noah Charney, she talks about her approach to writing and creating. And I apologize if I'm messing up her last name. I don't, I'm not good at pronunciations. I don't believe in writer's block. Think about it. When you were blocked in college and had to write a paper, didn't it always manage to fix itself the night before the paper was due? Writer's block is having too much time on your hands. If you have a limited amount of time to write, you just sit down and do it. You might not write well that day or every day, but you can always edit a bad page. You can't edit a blank page. That's true. You can't edit something that doesn't exist. I, uh, the last couple years have taken that more to heart where as long as I write something, I know I can always fix it. But if I don't write something, there's fucking nothing there's a, you can do. Yeah, there's nothing to fix. My arch nemesis has always been that blank page. How many times have you like sat down and even if you have a story in your head, you're just like, I don't know how to start this. And then you just get built with like more, just like more anger fills your soul. You're just like, fuck, fuck, fuck. fuck. And then you just get frustrated and quit. I've done that numerous times. Next up, we have Maya Angelou. Easy reading is damn hard writing. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, right. In a 2013 interview with the Daily Beast, the American author and poet discussed her writing career and her daily working habits. I keep a hotel room in my hometown and pay for it by the month. That's strange, but all right. I go around 6.30 in the morning. I have a bedroom with a bed, a table, and a bath. I have Rogets, thesauruses, a dictionary, and the Bible. Usually a deck of cards and some crossword puzzles. Something to occupy my little mind. I think my grandmother taught me that. She didn't mean to, but she used to talk about her little mind. So when I was young, from the time I was about 3 until 13, I decided that there was a big mind and a little mind. And the big mind would allow you to consider deep thoughts, but the little mind would occupy you, so you could not be distracted. It would work crossword puzzles or play solitaire, while the big mind would delve deep into the subjects I wanted to write about. I have all the paintings and any decoration taken out of the room. I ask the management and the housekeeping not to enter the room, just in case I've thrown a piece of paper on the floor. I don't want it discarded. About every two months I get a note slipped under the door. Dear Mrs. A- Dear Miss Angelou, Please let us change the linen. We think it may be moldy. But I've never slept there. I'm usually out of there by two. And then I go home and I read what I've written that morning. And I try to edit then. Clean it up. Easy reading is damn hard writing. But if it's right, it's easy. It's the other way around, too. If it's slovenly written, then it's hard to read. It doesn't give the reader what the careful writer can give the reader. That is uh, it's interesting. Like, So she would do her editing at home. But she had a hotel specific, or a motel, I forget which one it was, but specifically set up so there would be no distractions, and that's where she would do her writing. Well, I know uh, artists will, um, like, I don't know how big of a thing it is now, but, like, uh, especially during the 90s, like, a lot of things where people, like, a couple artists would go together for, like, a studio. Yeah. So you'd kind of go there, and, you know, there'd be, like, maybe, like, five or six of you guys, you'd be spread out. But, like, you know, you all be there doing your thing, and you could be like, hey, man, can you come here? Can you look at this for a second? This looks kind of funny. Like, like, what's it look like to you? Do you got it? Like, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it gets you out of the house, and it kind of goes with that 9 to 5 thing. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
it's it's kind of easy. It's like, well, I'm leaving the house now. Now I have, you know, I have to work. I have to do do something. And what's the point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, I think there'd be easier ways to. Well, like Neil Gaiman, he had the writing gazebo in his yeah. backyard. It's like I don't think he had a Wi-Fi or anything. It was just like he had a heater in it. It was a little gazebo where he could go and write. And I was like, that is fucking awesome. I would love that. Nice little quiet woods area. That'd be up my alley. Next up, we have Barbara Kingsolver. I have to write hundreds of pages before I get to one. Before I get to page one. The Pulitzer Prize nominee has written over a dozen books, the last nine of which have all made the New York Times bestseller list. During a 2012 interview, she talked about her daily routine as a writer and a mother. Uh, this is going to be a little long. I'm going to try to get through this real quick. I tend to wake up very early. Too early. Four o'clock is standard. My morning begins with trying not to get up before the sun rises. But when I do, it's because my head is too full of words and I just need to get to my desk and start dumping them into a file. I always wake with sentences pouring into my head. So getting to my desk every day feels like a long emergency. It's a funny thing. People often ask how I discipline myself to write. I can't begin to understand the question. For me, the discipline is turning off the computer and leaving my desk to do something else. So she literally is like... Full of anxiety in the morning because she has all these ideas she doesn't want to lose. I write a lot of material that I know I'll throw away. It's just part of the process. I have to write hundreds of pages before I get to page one. For the whole of my career as a novelist, I have also been a mother. I was offered my first book contract for The Bean Trees the day I came home from the hospital with my first child. So I became a novelist and mother on the same day. Those two important lives have always been one for me. I've always had to do both at the same time, so my writing hours were always constrained by the logistics of having my children in someone else's care. When they were little, that was difficult. I cherished every hour at my desk as a kind of prize. As time has gone by and my children entered school, it became progressively easier to be a working mother. My oldest is an adult and my youngest is 16, so both are now self-sufficient. But that's been a gradual process. For me, writing time has always been precious, something I wait for and am eager to find I'm eager for and make the best use of. That's probably why I get up so early and have writing time in the quiet down hours when no one needs me. Uh, and there's like another paragraph here, but um, you can find that on the article, folks. So she does another one that just makes me feel like dog shit. Like you're waking up just brimming with ideas and yeah. you're constantly writing. And so she had no problem writing. Her problem was not writing. Uh, next up, Nathan Englander. Turn off your cell phone. Englander. That's what I need to fucking do. God. Englander is an award-winning short story writer, and in this interview, he talks about his quest to eliminate all distractions from his writing routine. Turn off your cell phone. Honestly, if you want to get work done, you've got to learn to unplug. No texting, no email, no Facebook, no Instagram. Whatever it is you're doing, it needs to stop while you write. A lot of the time, and this is fully goofy to admit, I'll write with earplugs in, even if it's dead silent at home. I don't know how much of a distraction your phone is for you, but that's my biggest one for me. Is wanting to write, but then actually that's why I started writing a lot of stuff by hand because then I just leave my phone on the other side of the room. You know what I would do? What would always get me is like I'd start to write, but I'd be like, "Oh wait, let me check on the website. I haven't seen the how yeah. it's been doing in a while." And like that's another like twenty minutes down the drain. <laughs> Next up, we have Karen Russell. Enjoy writing badly. Russell has only written one book, and it was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. That must be a nice problem to have. Right? In an interview with the Daily Beast, she talks about her daily struggle to overcome distraction and write. I know many writers who try to hit a set word count every day, but for me, time spent inside a fictional world tends to be a better measure of a productive writing day. I think I'm fairly generative generative as a writer. I can produce a lot of words, but volume is not the best metric for me. 
It's more a question of, did I write for four or five hours of focus time when I did not leave my desk, didn't find some distraction to take me out of the world of the story? Was I able to stay put and commit to putting words down on the page without deciding mid-sentence that it's more important to check my email or research some questions online or clean out the science fair project in the back of the freezer? And then she goes on as well, but another one about distraction. But I like the metric, like, you're not measuring your productivity by the word count or how much you actually write. You're measuring it by how much you're in the fictional world, how much uh, focus you have, and pretty much how serious you are about the writing. And that's kind of what I do. I don't generally go by word count. Like, you know, there's some times where I've, like, recently I've hit, like, 2,000 words in a story without, like, really even thinking about it. And that's not what was important to me. I'm like, oh, Spencer, I hit, like, 2,000 words yesterday. I don't know if they're good words, but... I, They're words. What, but what I'm excited about was the actual scene I wrote or the story I, I've gotten to. Uh, how do you go about that? Do you focus more on the word count? Uh, like, is that your motivator or is it just the writing time? Not necessarily word count, I, but I try to keep count like like a page count. I think, you know, if, I count, if I'm counting anything, it's page. Because I heard, uh, you know, and I think we talked about it in an interview before with like Stephen King. You know, uh, when George R. R. Martin asked him how he writes so much, and he's like, oh, I just try, at least try to get like five or six pages. Yeah. Now, I never get anywhere near that. I have to, just set, try. A diff- I have to set a different goal f- for me, and, you know, hopefully, still like, get to that point. Mm. But I feel like if you can get like a page or two done, like that's, yeah. you know, and if you get a couple pages done, that's normally like most of a chapter or a scene or, you know, something like that. One thing I've found to be very important is that if, even if you can only manage like a couple sentences on, on one day, like you can't really sit down and write on your computer, maybe you go on your phone and you just write a sentence or two, or you just do a paragraph or whatever it is, as long as you do that every day, that does add up. Yeah. And, if, I mean, it will take longer, but you will finish your story. The important thing is you do write. We have A.J. Jacobs. Force yourself to generate dozens of ideas. In an interview for the series How I Write, Jacob talks about his daily writing routines and dishes out some advice for young readers. Young writers, rather. My kids wake me up. I have coffee. I make my kids breakfast, take them to school, then come home and try to write. I fail at that until I force myself to turn off my internet access so I could get a little shelter from the information storm. I am a big fan of outlining. I write an outline, then a slightly more detailed outline, then another with even more detail. Sentence form, sentences form, punctuation is added, and eventually it all turns into a book. I write while walking on a treadmill. I started this practice when I was working on Drop Dead Healthy and read all these studies about the dangers of the sedentary life. Sitting is alarmingly bad for you. One doctor told me that sitting is the new smoking. So I bought a treadmill and put my computer on top of it. It took me about 1,200 miles to write my book. I kind of love it. It keeps me awake for one thing. Jacobs has advice for young writers too. Force yourself to generate dozens of ideas. A lot of those ideas will be terrible. Most of them, in fact, but there will be some sparkling gems in there, too. Try to set aside 20 minutes a day just for brainstorming. I do like that. Um, just going back to his his writing on the treadmill thing, I think I'd be terrible at that. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do <laughs> well, Just that. the exercise portion, but just like, I just don't think that'd be fun. I don't think I could walk and type at yeah. the same time, even if it's like super slow. Yeah. If you uh, get I think like I would a, find it distracting. If you had like a dick... Dictation service, like a, was it called Dragon Writer or something? I forget what it is, but like, you know, the voice yeah. to text features. Your phone has it. You could talk into your phone and it'll write for that you. That would Google, maybe work. Like, like, it works on Google Docs. I've, I've done that sometimes. 
But what I would recommend for everybody to do, is, if you can, is just kind of go for walks to do your brainstorming, just like in a peaceful setting. And maybe bring like a little notebook or something yeah. so you can jot it down if you're worried about forgetting it. Yeah, that's usually a great idea because um, not everybody has like parks or things to go to. I mean, if you really can't go outside, it's too distracting, like to go for a walk, say you live in a big city. I mean, not necessarily like meditating, but just turning off all the noise you can, maybe getting some kind of earplugs or headphone, noise canceling headphones and kind of just chill in your own thoughts for a little bit. That's that's a great way to come up with like not just ideas, but just to kind of calm your mind. Because I feel like sometimes my mind is just too all this is just all over the place. And that's why I can't write to even sit down and focus on a thing. Yeah, uh, it's important to calm your mind. Um, There's there's countless apps that will help you with that, like meditative apps or, uh, you know, calming music, whatever you can find that works for you. Like personally, I like just going on walks and things like that. I find that helpful. Khaled Hosini, you have to write whether you feel like it or not. I believe this is the last entry on this, folks. In an interview with Noah Charney, Hosini talks about his daily writing habits and the essential things that all writers have to do. I don't outline at all. I don't find it useful, and I don't like the way it boxes me in. I like this guy already. (laughs) That was the last guy. He's a very detailed outliner. We've talked... uh, I think the episode we did with Nicholas Oberon, the last yeah. episode, I think we talked about the outlining and stuff. And it's like, it's important, but we're not good at it. Yeah. Uh, but I like this guy's way about going with things. I like the element of surprise and spontaneity of letting the story find its own way. For this reason, I find that writing a first draft is very difficult and laborious. Is it laborious or laborious? I always like to say laborious, but then I feel like I'm Dexter from Dexter's Lab. Yeah. Like I love my laboratory. <laughs> It is also often quite disappointing. It hardly ever turns out to be what I thought it was, and it usually falls quite short of the idea I had in my mind when I began writing it. I love to rewrite, however. A first draft is really just a sketch on which I did, which I add layer and dimension and shade and nuance and color. Writing for me is largely about rewriting. It is during this process that I discover hidden meanings, connections, and possibilities that I missed the first time around. In rewriting, I hope to see the story getting closer to what my original hopes for it were. I have met so many people who say they've got a book in them, but they've never written a word. To be a writer, this may seem trite, I realize. You have to actually write. You have to write every day, and you have to write whether you feel like it or not. Perhaps most importantly, write for an audience of one, yourself. Write the story you need to tell and want to and want to read it's impossible to know what others want so don't waste time trying to guess just write about the things that get under your skin and keep you up at night and again this is the uh, jamesclear.com uh, uh, yeah i i do hear like a lot of writers talk about that of like write something that that you think that you want to read yeah instead of trying to be like oh vampires are cool i'm gonna write a vampire story that's what i always do i just write what i want to read Usually it has some kind of whatever fiction I'm reading at the time. Yeah. Usually it has a little bit of like influence from that. But I always just write what the kind of stories I'd like to read. Not that I'm saying I don't care about the readers, but at the same time, it's like... You can't pander ta- to them either. Yeah, you can't pander to them. And it's not like my tastes are so specific that yeah. other people won't like what I like. So if you like something, generally, there's going to be a large group of people who like the same or similar things. So you should be fine going around, you know, going that route. I don't know. What did you take away from this that was most helpful? I, we we kind of already discussed almost everything on this list many times in the yeah. past. So I, I can't say we really need to go in any kind of depth with these. But the writing every day I don't think is the most important thing. But finding what is your best level of productivity, yeah. like what you feel 
it may, may, well, leaves you satisfied. Well, it's, it's, it's figuring out what your routine is. Yeah. Because that's what all these were with people's routines. And that routine may, like we said, like, like get up at four o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah. no, like, but maybe like the five thirty or six and right to 10, if you can manage that. I mean, it just depends who you are and you will generally, you're going to have to try things out because yeah. maybe you're not a morning person, but you never tried writing early in the morning. So try for a week or two and just really stick it out and see if that works. If not, then try something else. Like, it's all about your comfort level and what gets the words on the page best for you. So if you can, uh, you know, write on lunch at work or write after work, or you know, because everybody, you know, people have kids and different things. There's a lot of, a lot of things that go into what creates your routine. But the important thing is just to write. And again, it doesn't actually have to like a lot of these guys say every day. It doesn't have to be every day. We know people who are binge writers. They write. Yeah. Saturday and Sunday only, but they write a fucking half a novel in that time or something. It's just what you can do. I will say the big, the most important thing besides that would be to remove distractions. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of writers fail is because they get too distracted, whether like goddamn technology is the main one, like your phone and even like your computer. Even if I leave my phone to the side, sometimes I go to look up a word or something. I don't know how to spell. And then I find myself, oh, that's interesting. Go down some kind of wormhole or something. So you might have to like turn off your Wi-Fi or get one of those apps where it like turns off Twitter for a certain amount of time or Facebook or whatever the social media apps you use. It's like turn that off or, you know, hey, I'm blocking YouTube for an hour. Whatever you got to do to keep you centered and actually writing. No distractions. Find your writing routine. Sleep. Sleep's important. Sleep seems to be the main thing. Because I can't tell you how many times I've gone to to write, and next thing I know, I've woken up hours past, yeah. and, you know, didn't write anything or get, in, get anything accomplished. Again, that also goes with your work schedule, too. Like, you know, we always bitch all the time. It's like, if we didn't have day jobs, it would be a yeah. lot easier to write. But then again, would it? Because if I didn't have a day job, I could see myself getting into like video games or something yeah. or all sleep of a sudden and, I'm, Sleep until noon. Yeah, or all of a sudden I'm watching fucking animes for 12 hours. <laughs> like, There's a lot of things you can get into that'll take up your time. It sucks to say, but it's just self-discipline. You have to oh, make yeah. yourself right. Yep. Because it's very rare any of us actually don't have the time to write something. Mm. I mean, you could be the busiest person, but you could find 30 minutes somewhere probably. Does that mean you have to wake up 30 minutes earlier than normal? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe you have to wake up at 4 in the morning. Maybe. If you're so busy you can't find any time to write, then your life is too damn hectic. And yeah. You need to you need to probably, like, change your priorities a little bit. I mean, just, like, a good example is, like, a single mother who has a full-time job. And you say you have a couple kids like that's going to be hard that's probably one of the hardest situations to be you know try to start a writing career but obviously it could be done because many people have done it yes it's you have to make sacrifices if you really want it again this this will separate the hobbyist from the the people who actually yeah. want to make a writing career i don't know i guess that's about all i can really tell you fine folks it's not like me and spencer here are, uh Breaking in the big bucks from our novels. We haven't written novels yet. No. We're just trying to sort this thing out like the rest no. of you. Trying to figure out our schedule as well. Yeah. I mean, it's been years and I still, I get into good routines, but then they get broken up somehow and then I get fucked up. But we do need to move on from the short story market. Move on up to novels. That'll be the next thing. 
maybe uh maybe the fall try to finish this anthology up real quick and uh you know i still want to i'm gonna get some short stories published in some magazines but it looks like fucking crime fiction is the way to go and i'm just kind of learning how to do that which sucks but what are you gonna do and Spencer, he just got published in Big Butts Weekly. Oh yeah, but that was for something else. That wasn't for my Some- that wasn't for my writing. <laughs> something else. Uh, anyway, if you folks want to check out our fiction, you can go to www.drunkenpenwriting.com. You can check us out on Twitter at drunkpenwriting, Facebook and Instagram drunkenpenwriting. You uh stay classy, stay sexy, and most important, stay writing. <laughs>